Hello, before we get started with this month's Cucumber podcast, I wanted to tell you about Cucumfest Remote, which is our two-day BDD and Agile conference happening on June 3rd and 4th. On the first day, we will welcome three excellent keynotes in Abby Bankster, Emily Bash, and Rebecca Versbrock. They will be joined by Cucumfest regulars, such as the creator of Cucumber, Aslak Hellasoy, who will share the latest news and updates in the Cucumber project. The second day, we run as an open space, allowing you the chance to pick the topics you're most interested in. Tickets are in short supply, so head over to cucumfest.cucumber.io for more details. We think that the first set of proficiencies that a team needs to have is they need to be able to work collaboratively as a team. They need to be able to shift from thinking in terms of building according to components or what's technically cool to what is really going to deliver value to the customer and the business. And they need to be able to begin to work in a way that brings more transparency. So, hello and welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. Uh, my name's Seb, uh, and this week, uh, myself and Steve Took are speaking to Diana Larson. Well, and we've invited Diana onto this podcast because, well, she's pretty amazing, right? Diana is someone that I have... Uh, bumped into at conferences around the globe and we've worked on conferences together she's an amazing author amazing speaker and uh, one of the parents of agile fluency Um, and that's what i think i'd really like to focus on this week although i'm very hopeful that diana's got little gems up her sleeve to keep us all entertained along the way um so diana agile fluency What's that got to do with anything? (laughs) Um, Agile fluency came about because Jim, James Shore and I, uh, who had been working together quite a bit, um, a couple of different things happened. One was we were working on a workshop that we had been delivering. And while we got very good reviews on the workshop, we also got some some kind of contrasting feedback. Uh, there, there were times when we would arrange the workshop so that we started with the big ideas and then sort of chunked down to the, the smaller detail stuff. And then there were other times when we started with the practical smaller details and then built up to the big ideas. And in both instances, we were getting feedback that we should be doing the other. And so we were a little bit confused by that. And we started thinking about some of the other things that we had been learning about from various friends and family members uh, around language fluency and the idea that fluency builds on itself and that you really only need the the level, if, if you will, or the amount of fluency in a language that is what you're going to use. And so so then we started thinking about well in, in the context of this workshop what you know where what was the fluency what what would what was the first thing that we thought people would need to know and understand and was that a little bit of big big idea plus a little bit of practical stuff or you know how what was that what were the proficiencies and the fluencies people would need to get the ideas in our workshop. And so so that was that was happening, and then at the same time we were having conversations um, that we were troubled by some of the dialogue and that was going on in the agile community that was very dogmatic, very you're agile or you're not, very you you know it's not enough to be be doing agile you have to be agile and and you you know you must strive for the agile mindset or you're not really doing it it's not really there for you and things like that you know there was just a lot of that and and both of us had noticed that with our clients who you know had various kinds of needs from their teams and and who had very different kinds of products. I worked a lot in um, internal IT and James, James was working a lot with 
software product development. You know, we were seeing some very different needs in in our in the clients that we worked with. So then we thought, well, what if we took this fluency idea that we had kind of begun to flesh out for our workshop? What if we took that and began to try to create a model of team, larger model of team behavior using that idea of fluency? So moving from sort of individual fluency to group or team fluency. And so we started working on that. And and it was really driven by this idea that we want people to think more broadly about what it means for uh, an, a team to move into an agile space and what kind of environment and proficiencies and things they need to produce the outcomes that they're being, the expectations that are being put on them. Um, and then also, and what are the business needs? We, we saw some varying business needs and, and how did that fit into this? And that led us to the idea that like, if you're a tourist, you need one kind of fluency in the language of the place that you're going to, if you don't already speak it. But if you're going there to uh, live for several months and need to be able to have general daily conversations, that's a different kind of fluency. If you're going there to start a business, that's yet another kind of fluency. And Or if you're teaching at university or speaking at conferences, that's another kind of fluency. And so we were trying to parse out what are the we ended up calling them zones of fluency that people need in order to be effective and successful with their agile adoption. What, what, what do they need from their teams? And so we did, then we did a bunch of rounds of review with a lot of people. Um, we have a, an open space conference that happens here in the northwest corner of the u.s every year and um and so we for several years we brought our ideas to that conference and got feedback and and we were also sending things out for review to other people that we respected and then we just finally got to the place where we thought you know the model is where it needs to be we've we we think we've written about it in a way that is understandable let's do one more check. And so we sent it out to another group of some very, you know, group of people that everybody probably in the agile world would recognize their names. And a lot of folks that were just practitioners on the ground that we really respected their work. And, um, you know, but nobody else may have ever heard of them. Um, And so we sent it out to that group and we said, is this in essence, is this ready for prime time? We asked a bunch of different questions about that. And then, and we said, and if it is, where should we publish it? And so um, what's not too surprising for folks who've read the, art, the article and, and have seen it is Martin Fowler was one of the folks we had sent it to. He wrote back, he said, yes, I think it's ready. And I would love to publish it on my, on my site. So that's what we did. And so the first edition came out in August of 2012. And um, then we then we left it. We thought we were done. Uh, we'd sort of put our stake in the ground, said, this is how we think about Agile. <laughs> we're done, right? And then we started getting requests from folks. And we started hearing about people who had read it and begun to apply it in their organization. And, and then some of the folks who were trying to apply it, but not having as much success started asking us, how do we implement this idea? How do we apply this to our agile adoption? So then we started creating, oh, oh well, if you need that, well, let, here, we'll create this for you and we'll create that for you. And, um, and then, by 2015, we said, wait, this has stopped being a side project. This is taking a lot of our time. We need to just formalize this and, and turn it into a company. So we call it the Agile Fluency Project. And so that's been going since 2015. And then around that time, Martin started saying, it's time for an update. It's time for an update. <laughs> and because we had been learning so much and he had been talking about it and 
and people had been giving him feedback that he'd been passing on to us. And so then in March, a couple of years ago, March 2018, we did a very thorough rewrite and update of the article. And that now is on Martin's website and also available as a downloadable free ebook on our website, which is agilefluency.org. And um, so that's how we, that's kind of how we got to today. And now we, um, we, the idea always behind this is that we wanted to see Agile done well, delivering benefit in every organization that said it was doing Agile. And we very quickly realized that James and I don't scale (laughs) to that degree. So, so, and people started asking us, you know, can we get our hands on some of these other materials and things that you've created? So then we started a, a licensing program. So now we have a, a workshop um, for us. It's a series of, of sessions that people can attend. And at the end of that, they get a license to use all our materials and be kind of a part of our Agile Fluency community. So it's always sounded interesting. Um obviously we we'd love for people listening to this podcast to go off and read um to read that ebook but could you you know could you give a one or two sentence so you've already talked a bit about it about fluency but how does how does an organization derive benefit from this model so will they be doing it will they be categorizing themselves at as at a certain level of fluency or will they be saying we need to get to this level of fluency and therefore we need to adopt these practices well how, how do team how do organizations typically use the fluency model yeah well i think different people use it in different ways um and both of the ways that you described sometimes people will read the article and they will say oh we see all of these behaviors happening in our teams that must mean they're here or close to here i mean you know all models are wrong. Some are, you know, some are useful. So, so there is no hard and fast boundary around when a team is in the focusing zone versus the delivering zone. But you can get a sense if you watch the behaviors. We we wrote the article around observable behaviors. So you can go into a team. You can say, do we see this, this, and this? Does the team recognize that they're doing this, this, and this? And so you can get a sense of where is the team now. But then there is the second piece, which is where do it depend, you know, given the kind of product or or efforts that we need from our teams, what kind of deliverables do we need? In what way do we need those delivered? And what does that tell us about what fluency zone we need them to be in? So it doesn't make any sense to send that somebody who has a tourist level of a language to send them off to start a branch of the business there without giving them more, right? So what it does is it it helps with that first kind of assessment. You can use it as a thinking tool for where is the team now and then where do we need them to be and then we offer some um, additional information about well if there's a gap then there are some investments you need to make as an organization and that might mean spending money on coaching or training but it also just might mean this team is never going to be able to work effectively together until you give them a common workspace so that might be in the olden days, physical co-location. <laughs> but it also might be, do they have all of the electronic mediation and tools that they need to work effectively as a remote team? And if you're not giving them those things, those are investments you need to make. Or it may need, mean that you actually need to not train people on the team, but train your managers to manage that team differently so that they are able to deliver what you want them to deliver. So all of those clues, I think, are in the article. Not everybody wants to do DIY. And so that's why you know we have folks who are now trained to use the materials who can come in and, and work and help coach somebody through 
through their process of figuring that out. We have a diagnostic instrument that can say, here's where your teams are now. We have a, a feedback loop process that we do to make sure that progress is happening. Um, there are a number of things like that. So you described, I, I mean, that was a great- I can't do anything in two sentences. No, way, but it, it, was, it, was, it was a brief description. I really appreciate that. Um, I have I have a, a sort of question by some of this niggling me, and I, I know that it's niggled a number of people, which is that it would be quite easy possibly to misrepresent this as a maturity model. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure you've been asked about that many times. So I wonder, is that something you could debunk? Right. Well, we don't, we don't consider it a, a maturity model purely because we have seen folks get enormous value out of every zone when it's the right fit for them. So there, I mean, there are four zones in our model, focusing, delivering, optimizing, and strengthening. But strengthening, even though it requires more of the proficiencies than the other zones, is not a zone most people want or need. It, it just is the accumulation of all these proficiencies, but we aren't suggesting that folks should necessarily go there. Um, and so it really is about the best fit. And that's why, you know, that's why we use this idea of fluency and the fluency model to think about um, what, what is the sweet spot for us as a business and are our teams already performing in that sweet spot and this is as good as it's going to get? Or are there some things that we need to do to adjust the environment, circumstances, uh, training, skill levels? Uh, maybe it's not training. Maybe it's just some men gentle mentoring or some pairing that if we do, we can get some transfer of knowledge going on. You know, making the right choices around that. And, and that's a big part of it is... Uh, fluency is about making the choice to be a, a good fit for your for your circumstance for your situation and and we don't think businesses need to be investing more than that um, to to get what they need and and there are an awful lot of folks in the agile world who are providing kind of prescribed, this is how you get there and all the things, right? And we're saying, no, don't just figure out which of the things that you actually need. And let's, let's go after those first and then see where that takes you. And if you want, if, if you're satisfied with that or not. So, so if I, if I play it back um, to make sure I've understood it properly, we, the, these four zones, focusing, delivering, strengthening and optimizing there, they're the fluency zones, and they are based around um, the the business objectives that you have. Is whether you need to be get to those zones, but these zones do build on each other. So, an organization that needs to get that 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 would get huge benefits from bringing the strengthening would have to make sure they take the the shift all the way through the previous zones. Yeah. So. So, for instance, we think that the first set of proficiencies that a team needs to have and that to even call themselves an agile team at all is they need to be able to work collaboratively as a team. They need to be able to shift from thinking in terms of building according to components or what's technically cool to what is really going to deliver value to the customer and the business. So that's a, a shift in thinking that has to happen. And they need to be able to begin to work in a way that brings more transparency so that the business can track what progress they're making in the easiest possible way. Those are like, we call those the agile fundamentals. You, you can't get anywhere with Agile if you can't do those things, right? So that's the first zone. Uh, and there's some other things in there. But basically, that's the first zone, the, the focusing zone. If you, if you need more than that, if you need more uh, predictability around delivery, if, or if you have a, a, a hungry customer base that wants deliveries frequently all the time and you really need to get into continuous deployment, continuous delivery, 
continuous integration, those kinds of things. That's the next zone. That's the delivering zone. And, um, and so, and that has to do with, you know, getting stronger in those really uh, significant engineering practices and, um, and, you know, and working on a market cadence and, and being able to release at will, for instance. Right. So, but you can't get there. You can't have collective coding standards that work if you don't have that sense of collaboration as a team and, and those kinds of things. So, so all the focusing proficiencies are built into the delivering proficiencies and more. So it, yes, you're right. It, it, it aggregates as it goes through the model, but again, we don't think you have to go all the way through the model. You just stop at the place where you're getting what you need. I really respect that model. I wonder if you found organizations where leaders have gone, we've got to get all the way to strengthening just because it's at the top, like like the companies that need to get to CMMI level five, just because that's it. And if they get to five, they want to get to six next. <laughs> yeah, let's turn the dials to 11, right? For Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I do more often I more often I run into folks who get um, really excited by optimizing when they may or may not need optimizing. Strengthening has to do so much with giving teams more um, involvement in organizational decision making. It's a much more participatory kind of team environment. Tends to only work for very small organizations, frankly, or small to medium-sized organizations. I mean, Dan Price and Gravity Payments, he's been all over um, the Twitter and now showing up in the news where when COVID hit, rather than laying everybody off, he went to his all of his employees and his various teams and said, help me figure out how we can get through this. And the teams got together and then individuals decided what they were willing to do around reducing their salaries. And he reduced his salary to zero. And it was this whole sense of we're all in this together, right? That's strengthening. And there is almost no large organization that can do that. The communication overhead is just too big, even if they want to. Right. So we actively discourage folks from the strengthening zone for the most part, unless we really feel that it is suitable for them. Yeah. One of the things I'm interested in is is how teams go about um, go through these shifts, because one of the things I was thinking as you were describing kind of getting to focusing and then getting to delivering was um, some of the ideas that like. I've been picking up in terms of picking up personal habits where sometimes you want to focus on uh, actionable things that you can do every day and they build you towards some kind of progress in, in uh, picking up a habit or picking up a skill or something like that. And when I think about um, some of the ideas that come from the DevOps movement and things, it's very much focused on, well, let's start with the with the technical practices, right? If, if, we, if we force ourselves through... Um, constraints on our on our technical process to um to, to so that we so that we want we can get to continuous delivery and uh, we so we need better uh test automation we need um we need ops and developers to work together and actually we, we then need testers and things to work together so using those technical constraints drive some of those um organizational or team changes that that, that encourage collaboration and working together like I, it just it just struck me as that sounds slightly counter to what you were describing. So I was just wondering how that um, fits with with wh how what you've seen happen in organizations. Right. Well, so one of the things, one of our little catchphrases is "call your shot." So if you think that that, I mean, if you know that's the kind of team that you need is that which is a delivering zone team, then our recommendation is you go all in. Because the delivering zone does contain everything from the focusing zone plus all that engineering stuff. And what you will notice happen, you just start working on it all at once as it makes sense, 
just like you described, just as it makes sense, you work on all of it. You know that there's this whole set of proficiencies. If you've done a diagnostic or some kind of observe, observation assessment, you know where the team is already strong and where it's not. So you can pick and choose, you know, what what you want to be strengthening uh, or what you want to be building on. And, and you just go after all of it. And what you will notice is that the team will get most comfortable often with a lot of the focusing zone proficiencies before they get fully habituated around the engineering proficiencies. But you work on it all at once. And we, call it, we, we say that's calling your shot. If you think you need to be in delivering, do everything it takes to be in delivering. If you think you need to be in optimizing, then you ratchet that up and you do all those first three zones and you do all of that at once. It's, it's actually more efficient time-wise to do it that way rather than, oh, let's get, let's get proficient and fluent in the focusing zone. Okay, now we're there. Now let's get proficient and fluid in the delivering zone. Okay, now we're there. Now let's go to the opt. That takes forever. <laughs> yeah, right. And 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 I can imagine as well. If it, you, you mentioned the diagnostic, one of the things if you're going to call your shot and go straight for hitting delivering or even optimizing, then probably you want to have realized that some of the base level from focusing is already there, maybe things around psychological safety and, and so on. So the team are able to at least work together and get through those problems as they come across them. Because if you don't have that, then you probably really need to focus very much more on focusing. Yeah, you, you start seeing how it all kind of works together. Yeah. So that that's that, there's an interesting um, paper, and I'm, I can't remember whether it was by Capers Jones or whether that's just because I heard about it from Alan Kelly and he, all of his <laughs> quotes come from Capers Jones. But it's a it's a quadrant. It was published in a, a business a business. Um, Are you thinking about the Gartner Magic Quadrant? Quite. It's, it. I mean, it's not a magic quadrant that I'm thinking about, but oh, it is a quadrant. Um, and and it was it, it showed that companies that focused on the technical delivery skills before the collaborative let's build the right thing skills often got to the top right the the good place faster so if mm-hmm. you if you can build thing if you, your delivery mechanism has quality processes built in uh, then you can uh, iterate uh, and right. learn faster and then apply some of the, the the more fundamental agile practices whereas if you went straight for trying to uh, trying to make sure that uh, the collaboration worked really well without focusing on technical practices, often companies got stuck um, in endless meetings. Uh, yeah. You know, is that is that something that you've noticed? Uh... Yeah, I mean, uh, but I but I think about it in a little bit different way. I think about um, when we say um, we have a goal for our team that our product owner is going to be able to release at will. We w- we're going to do whatever it takes for our product owner to be able to just, you know, up to the day before say, okay, ship it. Right. In order to do that, it turns out we have to know how to work together as a team, including our UX and DevOps folks. Right. Where the the cross-functional team, if you're only in the focusing zone, may just be uh, programmers and testers. That's the development team. When you get into the delivering zone, then you are looking at DevOps. You're looking at UX. You may be looking at... um, technical writers for training materials, I mean, or for online FAQs or, you know, whatever. Um, So, so what happens is, I, I don't think that it's like, oh, well, we go just for the delivering, just for the engineering practices, and then we figure out if we need any of these collaboration skills. It's getting to the delivering practices demands those collaboration skills. Right. And so that it, they are going to get sucked along no matter what. Right. And um, or or the team won't really be a highly functioning team. So um, I, I just see that working together. And that's why we say call your shot. Right. Just say where you think you want to be and then do everything that remains to do to get there. And um, 
and it'll all, it will, if you've got good coaching and are smart managers or whoever is, is kind of helping that, helping to create the environment for the team to be able to do that, um, you can, you can create some very high performing, really fabulous team greatness situations. Yeah. So before we wrap this one up, I think we should probably mention that the, that you, you do run cohorts of training, don't you? Yes, we do. Yeah. And I guess that always used to be remote. So the current lockdown won't have affected it at all. It's still remote. (laughs) It's still remote. Excellent. So um, uh, where should people go uh, to find out more about that if they're interested? Okay. Uh, Agilefluency.org. And we have a workshops and events webpage. And if people go there, they can, they look for a workshop called the Agile Fluency Facilitators Workshop. And that is a, is the workshop that is licensing. It's a, it's, it's a demanding workshop. It's three, eight sessions over three months of actually having teaching sessions and then people going out and doing deliberate practice, actually doing the thing that they just learned and bringing the, the um, artifacts of that back for the next time. And so it's a, it's a demanding course, but it, people at the end, they're always sad when it's over. I mean, it's really, it's interesting because it's a, it's a rich learning and, and the cohorts are small, six to eight people, sometimes smaller than that, depending. And we have two of them starting in June. So the one that's starting at the beginning of June is kind of you, America's U.S. and the South America and um, Oceania, New Zealand and Eastern Australia covers that whole and and China. Actually, there was someone in China in that one. Um, And then uh, then there's one starting a little later in June that is good for U.K., Central Europe, Middle East and and South and South Africa, for that matter, or Africa, for that matter, um, all of that, those time zones. So we almost cover the world. There's kind of a little sliver where if people want to be a part of it, they got to be up pretty late at night. But, <laughs> but, but between those two, those two workshops, then the two trainers that train them that are located in different places, we, uh, we pretty much cover the world for those. And, and just to be clear, they're, they're, they're valuable, like... The model and the the project is aimed both at internal coaches at large organizations and uh, people who who go and visit other companies like your traditional agile coach. Yeah, actually, we we built it originally for external coaches, for folks who um, visited lots of different clients and and needed that ability to enter an organization in a good way and figure out what the needs were and, and work with leaders to do that and so on. And that's how we originally built it. And then we discovered that there's a lot of use for people who are in internal agile centers of practice and those coaches as well. So, and occasionally we even get managers who sign up. We've had several managers along the way who said, I really need to understand how to work with my teams better. So, so we get kind of a nice cross population and um, people meet, peers that they would not have met any other way because you know they're far flung around the world so so that that leads us nicely on i think to something that's not actually on our list as such but given the current situation uh and the way conferences are going uh have you been to any virtual conferences recently and if so what was good about them and what was disappointing well, um, I have been to a lot of webinars lately. I've been doing a deep dive into, um, like we said earlier, the Agile Fluency Facilitators Workshop. We started teaching it in the way we're teaching it now in 2017. So there have been a lot of new online tools and, and resources available. So I've been doing really a deep dive to try to bring myself up to speed on all of that. What is, what's the best possible way to connect with people to set a good environment for learning and that kind of stuff. So I've been attending a lot of those kinds of sessions lately. Um, I am, I'm um, always struck by the ones where I get about a half hour in and I'm noticed that I'm starting to pick things up off my desk and maybe I should check my email and, you know, and then I stop to think, what is it about this that is not 
holding my attention? Um, you know, why, why am I disconnecting and disengaging from this thing? And generally it has to do with how much interaction, um, how much, um, if it's, if it's, you know, lecture, 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 I have a very difficult time staying engaged. For one thing, it triggers my own thoughts and I want to start working with my own thoughts in response to what people are saying. And if there's not a good way to ask questions or in, you know, have interaction with other participants, that becomes very difficult. So, so that's one of the things I'm noticing. I'm actually, um, engaged to do a number of work of virtual conferences toward the end of May, early June. And so I'm really interested in how that's going to work. And I'm planning to attend a virtual open space conference the first weekend in May. And I'm, I, I'm excited about that one. I did, a, I, I actually facilitated a, a very short one a few weeks ago and it worked great. Um, so I'm, I know that it's possible. I know that what we miss is, you know, the ability to feel each other's breath and actually, you know, be present in that kind of way with uh, the folks that we have come to care about as colleagues. And, you know, um, I, some of my dearest friends are people that I have met through conferences and things around the world. And, so right now we're Marco Poloing and doing things like that with each other to stay connected. But, um, but I think it's possible to do, uh, to do virtual conferences well, but it does take a lot of thought. And I don't know that you can just transfer the regular physical conference lecture talk thing into into the virtual space. And it's the same way with webinars and things. When people are trying to take their normal training workshop, and particularly if it was a lecture-y one, and then just translate it as a, a lecture-based webinar, uh, I, I, can't, I can't stick it out. So um, yeah, so those are some of the things I've noticed. Okay. Yeah, so I went to a, a virtual conference a few weeks ago and I had the same insight that you, you did, which is uh, the format is fine for some information uh, mm -hmm. transferal, but it's not a place to meet people. They tried really hard having um, a Zoom channel, which they called the corridor. But, you know, you don't go and hang out in a Zoom room in the off chance. It's not like you meet yeah. some, bump someone into someone at the you know, when you, you're going for the last sticky bun. You know, it's just different. Um, yeah, and and the hard thing about a big Zoom channel is it's really hard to just have those one on one on one one on two kind of conversations where you just kind of bump into someone and go out on the side in the corner, you know. It, right. It yeah, if you don't resonate work. with right. the topics, um, where do you go to just have a quiet conversation with somebody that you just met to learn more about them? You know, do you leave and go to LinkedIn? I, you know, I don't <laughs> go set up your own Zoom on the side. I, <laughs> I don't know. You're more likely just to go and check your email, aren't you? Basically, yeah, yeah. And do right, something. right. Um, okay, so uh, I mean, we we met way back when in the XP conference world and uh, the the Agile <laughs> conference. Um, so, and both the XP conference has always had. Um, an element of open space in it. And I hear you saying you're going to a virtual open space conference in May. That yeah. sounds like an interesting yeah. concept. Where, which, which conference is mm -hmm. that? It's called, uh, vir it's virtual open something, something. Um, uh, April Jefferson is going to be the host for it. She's one of the organizers. Uh, there have been folks tweeting about it, um, and I guess I'd need to look at my calendar to sort of figure out the exact name of it. Um, but if you, I think if you, if you Google or if you searched on virtual open conference, it would probably be one of the things that would pop up, particularly if you get one that's like May 8th or something. <laughs> 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 um, 
And and I saw the other day that they said they had sold about 70% of their tickets. So, you know, if people are interested in that, I would kind of hop on it. Um, and I'm, I am interested in that one because I know that April is an amazing open space facilitator. I, every, I will go to open spaces just because I know she's going to be the facilitator. And, and as one myself, I, I think I recognize, you know, some of the things that she does, but she, she brings a very special quality to it. So I'm, um, so I'm, I have a good, a good sense of what she's, you know, that of the kinds of things she can bring to that sort of space. Um, I know they're using a couple of different tools that they're going to, they're going to be pulling together. They're going to use Zoom, but they've got a couple of other tools to help them with the breakout sessions and things. So I'm very interested in how that's going to work. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, uh, I just think it's going to be interesting place for people to be because it'll be the, all of the topics right? All the things that are on our mind right now, which is not just our engineering practices or just how is our, our agile adoption going, but also how are we dealing in the work from home world and how are we, you know, coping with the, the restrictions around staying at home. And I mean, it's going it, to, it will of necessity be a very broad uh, set of topics. So I'm, I'm really curious about how that's going to work. It sounds exciting. I noticed that you have a book on LeanPub called The Five Rules of Accelerated Learning. Um, how is it related to the Agile Fluency project, which seems to be about organizations and teams? Is this like a personal version of this or does it also relate to teams and so on? Well, I wrote this book with my son, Willem Larson, who, um, who shares with me um, a lifelong although his life has not been as long as mine, uh, a lifelong uh, fascination with how people learn. That's what retrospectives are about. That's what agile chartering and lifting off your team, getting them started in a good way, setting the conditions for them to learn. Everything I have done, including fluency, is about learning, right? And so that is the continuing theme through my whole professional career, uh, helping people redesign their workflows in, back in the 80s and 90s it's always about learning so um so the book really is about kind of five universal rules for learning whether you're looking at it as an individual who wants to manage your own learning whether you're looking at it as an individual manager or coach who wants to help other people learn whether you're looking at team learning whether you're looking at organizational learning these are sort of five rules that persist no matter where you are where your focus is around making sure that learning is happening and um they it it we haven't worked on it for a couple of years um we've both been busy with other things and i've it's been on my mind a lot lately that i'm getting to the place where i'm ready to refresh it but you know who knows how long that'll take so yes, it's on five. It's on uh, Lean Pub, and you know if you go leanpub.com/slash-five-rules, there it is. Um, and it the five rules quickly are keep it alive, which has to do with remembering that we're dealing with humans and the things that human human preferences and how humans naturally and instinctively learn. Um, setting first pay attention to where you are doing the learning and make it the most learning full and learning encouraging setting that you can create. Do it for real, which is about focusing on fluency, you know, focusing on can people do the skill that they're trying to learn, make sure that that's happening. Start obvious, stay obvious. None of this, you know, oh, let's try it this way. See how that didn't work. Now let's try it the right way. That's stupid, <laughs> right? Now, be obvious. Keep Help people focus on where, where their learning is going and what they want. And then the last one is focus on flow. How do we figure out how to sequence the pieces of learning in such a way that they build on one another and that they are small enough that they are easily consumed and integrated uh, by the learners? 
whether that's ourselves or whether that's uh, the people that we're trying to help. So it's very different than uh, training in the back of the room. Those kinds of things, those are really great tools too. This is a, this is a different look at learning than those kinds of books are. And because uh, it's more kind of overarching, um, and because it's five, and we lim- you know five rules, uh, handy mnemonic on the end of your arm, right? And you can see that I was ticking them off as I went, right? Um, I use it wherever I go. Whenever I'm in a situation where I'm either trying to manage my own learning or fostering a learning environment for other folks. I very quickly will go through how to, you know, are we doing the things here that are going to help people as humans learn? Is this going to be an alive situation for them, an engaged situation? Uh, do we, are we clear about the skills we're trying to learn and are we getting as close as possible to the real conditions under which people would use this skill? And I mean, so on. So I, you know, I use it as a mnemonic all the time and, um, and it's, you know, it's been very helpful to me. I know it's been very helpful to Willem and some other folks that have, we've shared it with. So now when I do retrospectives trainings or any of those kinds of things, I always build it in. And in our the second edition of our of Ainsley Nice and my liftoff book, we have a whole chapter on on the five rules. So because it just makes such a difference. And it's and it's about learning in the workplace, not just classroom learning or or those kinds of things. Yeah. So um, you point out that the, that that book has been on the go for a while. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's new coming from the pen of Diana Larson? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I do have um, an interest in updating that one. Um, I've been asked by a publisher to write a book um, on retrospectives uh, more broadly in the organization. Um, I'm trying to work out how to fit that in with now being the founder of a startup, which <laughs> with the Agile Fluency Project, which is taking, you know, a lot of my time and, uh, and is a really interesting challenge. It's different than things I've done before. So um, it's, it's interesting to move from being the coach consultant role to being the, you know, leader of an organization kind of role along with James. So, um, so I, you know, I, in my copious spare time, I dream about working on another book, but I haven't gotten there. Mostly I'm in more short form. Uh, my writing now is, uh, for our blog or for, um, you know, occasionally I'll post things on LinkedIn, long, longer articles, not just posts, but, um, that's more what I've been up to with my proverbial pen lately. Excellent. So uh, there's plenty there, I'm sure, to keep people busy once they've <laughs> read the Agile Fluency ebook. So hearing hearing about you take that transition really uh, from into leader of an organization, a fledgling organization, a, a growing organization, um, do you have any tips for coaches about how they deal with leaders of organizations who are bringing them in based on your new experience now? Um, well, it would be actually the same as I had before. I don't know that, the, I don't know that I have new ones, but I've worked with a lot of leaders in a lot of organizations over the years. <laughs> and so, so my approach would be still pretty much the same, which is listen to what they need, right? I mean, don't come in you know, you can think about what you'd like to accomplish in their organization ahead of time, but then you got to let that go and you, you need to go in and just listen to what is it that this leader is trying to accomplish and are you a good fit for helping them accomplish that? Um, I mean, there's been a number of times when I've walked away because I didn't think I was a good fit. Um, and I so I think it's a really important part of those early conversations to figure out um, you know, is this, is this going to be a workable partnership, you know, a joint venture that we do together uh, if they bring me in? And so can I care about their business? Uh, and, and probably not as much as them, but, you know, can, can I care about it so that I really want to do my best work there? And, um, and so that, 
now when I engage with various vendors, that actually is a, 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 um, a an internal guidance or something that I have is like, does it seem like these people care about, are they just trying to sell me something at any cost or do they actually care about what's going on with us? And will they actually partner with me to help my business be better? So, I mean, I still, you know, on the other side of the table, that still is primary for me. Um, you know, all the, all the connection requests I get on LinkedIn from folks that it's absolutely clear that if I say, if I accept their invitation, the first thing I'm going to get is a, and here, let me sell you this before they try to establish any kind of relationship with me or understand my needs or, you know, and I, for a long time, <laughs> I would accept them, give them the benefit of the doubt. And then as soon as I got that, then I would disconnect with them. And then I thought, why am I doing these extra steps? <laughs> why don't I just not accept their thing to begin with when I can tell that that's most, the highest likelihood of what's going to happen. So, you know, just tip to the wise out there, I guess. But um, yeah, it's, but you know, anybody, it, they show up and it says, I'm an agile coach. I'm a scrum master. I'm a manager in an agile organization trying to do good work. I'm, you know, any of those folks who connect with me and know anyone else I know, I am very likely to accept them because, you know, that's the kind of community I want to build is those of us who are interested in making this whole thing work. Right. Well, that's, uh, that's great. I'm really glad that we've had you on. I, we've come to the top of the hour just now. So I think mm -hmm. it's time for me to do a little wrap up piece. Um, so what I'd like to say is thank you very much, Diana, for coming on. Um, yeah, thank you. all of the, our discussions will be um, published as a podcast in due course. Uh, there will be links to all the websites and conferences and books that we have discussed. Uh, and as always, uh, come back to check out the Cucumber podcast next month. So thank you very much, uh, Steve. And thank you very, very much, Diana. Yeah, thank you.